Welcome to Bob Got a Microphone, the podcast that exists because I, Bob Tarantino, bought a microphone. There are a lot of interesting people out there, and these are some of their stories. So, a few weeks ago, I was listening to a podcast hosted by my friend Jonathan Kay. He's a writer and journalist who has authored such insightful books as Your Move, What Board Games Can Teach Us About Life, which was co-written with Joan Moriarty. And he offhandedly mentioned that he likes watches. Hey, I thought... I like watches too. Maybe me and John could talk about the psychology of why middle-aged guys often suddenly find themselves deeply invested in new hobbies like watch collecting. Well, this episode is the record of that conversation. As you'll hear, we cover a lot of topics that, at best, only obliquely shed light on why we like watches, until suddenly everything becomes perfectly clear. All right, Jonathan Kay, welcome. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm good, thanks. So you're a watch nerd. Uh, among other kinds of nerds. I'm actually curious wh- how you knew I was a watch nerd. So on one of your Colette podcast episodes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, so I was talking about the New York Times watch ads. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, this time of year, the New York Times watch ads kind of go into this <laughs> price zone that like, unless you have your own hedge fund, probably not going to be able to get those watches. Right. Uh, you know, it's like unpronounceable Swiss names with three hyphens and eight umlauts that, I mean, you're not, we're not even, you and I aren't even supposed to read those ads. I don't even think we're allowed to, to look at the advertisements. No, exactly. So, I mean, what I, one of the things I find interesting about watches, so I'm, I'm a watch nerd too. I only got into watches a few years ago and it was because of my wife. And my wife had mentioned it to one of her colleagues who's older uh, that I was suddenly getting into watches. And the older friend of hers was like, oh yeah, of course. Like he's a guy in his mid forties. Like naturally he's into watches. That's right. <laughs> so I find that kind of a fascinating phenomenon. Like when did you get into watches? So my dad was always really into watches. So his oh. his deal was that he bought the first Omega Moonwatch, which is oh. a famous famous model. Um, I think like around the time it first came out, um, like it's got to be you know fifty years ago or something. And and that that's that's a wind up. It's actually unfortunately a very delicate watch, as as I've learned because uh, <laughs> I, I inherited it and. Um, <laughs> Did wow. you drop it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I dropped it. Was I, it insured? I mean, I'm really like not, I'm very clumsy with watches. Um, mm. well, can I tell you a story about Please. what happened with that watch? Yeah. So so that's the original Omega Moon watch, which even people who aren't watch nerds, if they saw it, they might recognize it because it's iconic. And a couple of years ago, I was working on a book project in New York and I would go there every month, which which is is good because that's about how often I would break it. And I, I had this, this adventure. I remember someone said to go to this place on Madison Avenue to, to get it fixed. And so I went and I was in the elevator going, <laughs> going up and this just random guy in the elevator said to me, he looked at my, my Speedmaster and he saw that it was cracked. And he said, oh, I bet you're going to the fourth floor to get your watch fixed. I said, yeah, like, how do you know? He says, well, you know, I see people in this building. They come all the time to get their watch fixed. And he said, it's a complete ripoff. I said, really? Uh, okay, well, I, I, you know, I heard it was good. He says, no, 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 a total ripoff. Like, it's for suckers. He says, are you a sucker? And I said, no, no, just uh, very much the opposite. Like, you know, I'm def- definitely not a sucker. So he says, come to my office, and I'll give you the phone number of somebody who will fix your watch. I said, okay. And then 
Uh, you're a very trusting guy, John. Like a random New Yorker in the in the elevator. Well, so if you're a sucker <laughs> and invites you into his office, so it, <laughs> really, like, yeah. it was really strange because I followed his office and he was the president of some kind of like upscale condo renovation company. Sure. And like I went past one secretary who who herself had like another secretary. Like I mean, he, he was. <laughs> it, it, the strangest part of the story is this guy who like wipes his shoe with people like me actually was taking the time. So I go into his office and he scribbles the name of this guy. And, and I said, well, where's the address? He said, oh, he says, there's no address. So what you, do, what you do is you go to the diamond district. And if you've ever been to like the diamond district, you know, it's just, you know, there's yeah. this street. And then within the street, there are these places and you go in and there's like 50 jewelers who have these little stalls. Right. Um, and then, so he like he said, well, you know, you go in and then you kind of turn left, and then there's a place that looks like it's sort of closed down. But ask for Moishi, and if he's not there, ask other people where Moishi is, and just like wait, and Moishi will show up. And I'm like, and you're sure you're, you're sure this guy is going to fix my watch? It's oh yeah, absolutely, 100. So so I did it, and then I show up, and and I actually like the guy was there, and uh, he told me his whole life. By this time, I wasted like. <laughs> <laughs> three hours anyway so moishi starts telling me his life story he's originally actually from canada but he was an orthodox jew and he was the black sheep of the family and he says he had a black sheep because i like going to titty bars like i no one has called them titty bar i mean the guy was like 150 and i don't think anyone's used that expression since uh well since since the Moonwatch came out actually and then he's told me like some horrifically racist jokes and i showed him my speedmaster and i said well can you fix it he says, oh, yeah, I can totally fix it. It just needs this and this and this. He says, but I'm going to need you to order the parts for me because they don't take my credit cards anymore. <laughs> He's blacklisted. <laughs> and I said, oh, OK, well, this, this sounds like a great idea. So well, I'm going back to Toronto tonight, but here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll order the parts and they'll come to Toronto. And on my next trip to New York, I'll bring you the parts and you'll fix the watch. And he said, yeah, so the problem is I'm not going to be here in a month. I'm going to be at my place in Brooklyn. Let me give you the address. And at this point, I was like, you know what? This is like, this is way too complicated. And I went across the street and I sold it, broken and all. Because <laughs> it was like the fourth time I'd, I'd broken that watch. I, right. I think I'd invested 7500 bucks just in fixing it. So when I was in Toronto, when I'd get it fixed, I'd bring it to, um, there's a place on 550 Richmond West. It's the, I think that's the address. It's the Swatch place. And Swatch is the local like marketing agent and maintenance agent, I think, for Omega. But what happens is you, you bring it in and there's all these guys running around in, in white coats. And the whole thing looks like they have the, the ability to fix it on the spot. But they always tell you the same thing. They say, oh, sorry, we got to send this to Switzerland. Right. Like everything they have to send us. Like, I think the white coats, it's just a scam. And those guys are making grilled cheese sandwiches. And the whole thing is just a front. And then they send us to Switzerland. And it's the same thing every time. It's like, takes six months and it's 1200 bucks. Like just whatever it is. It's six months and 1200 bucks. Uh, and so I'd gone through this rigmarole all the time. I'm a klutz. I'm, I was always dropping the thing. And so I just sold it. And so now my policy is I don't get expensive watches. I don't get any watch that's in four figures. So the watch I have now, actually, I don't know if you're, is this video? Can people, are people going to be able people to People won't this? be able to. No, I don't use the video. I just use the audio. Like okay, I'll be so, able to so see it. I but... can see you video. So I was going to yeah. hold the watch up. Well, you know, I'm going to hold it for yeah, you. Yeah, let me see it. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, this is, it's a citizen. And yeah. just for people listening at home, nice. uh, it's round and it has a minute <laughs> hand and an hour hand. And, and a bunch um, of sub dials. It's a good looking watch. Yeah. And then 
around the periphery, it has just like these random numbers that look like they mean something. If you were like a professional scuba diver or maybe a race car driver or a secret agent or something, but right. like don't actually, anyway, it's a, it's a beautiful watch. What I like about the citizen watches, they have this uh, radio control technology where every day at two in the morning, there is a radio signal that is emitted uh, from a mountaintop in Colorado. And, and I think like maybe a half dozen other places around the world. This is true. It's, it's a broadband technology and your watch will actually sync to it. Okay. Uh, so our part of North America actually uh, is in that zone. This, this, uh, in the Colorado. Zone. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know why more watches don't have this. It's uh, sometimes it's called, I think atomic or radio controlled. Right. But there's actually uh, millions of radio controlled timepieces, analog. They look like analog. And I guess they are analog timepieces all around North America that, that set themselves according to this technology. It's basically huh. AM radio technology and that, citizen has it. So I think citizen, that's, I think it's the best value. Right. That's, that's, so I'm a pretty big watcher. I've got to say, I've never heard of that technology or that model. That's amazing. Yeah. It's which is weird because it's, it's kind of like the same technology or it's analogous to, to, you know, it's why the clock on your phone is always accurate because it's always right. checking in with the network. Right. And this is basically the analog AM radio equivalent of that, right. where it's getting a radio signal and it, it adjusts for DST. Oh, I love these watches. So this is a Citizen. I have a Seiko. I have, a, I have an old Tudor. I have an old Tag. Nice. Um, but but they tend to be the very low end of the high end or the high end of the low end, depending right. on how you define it. It's sort of like the way. They say being in your 40s is, is the old age of youth or the youth of old age. Right. So that's like the analogous <laughs> thing to what, yeah, to watches. To what your watches I like. Right, your commitments and watches. Yeah. That's nice. I, so, I, I would never buy a watch that costs more than a decent set of snow tires. <laughs> I think, I think, that's a good heuristic. I, I like think that. Rabbi Akiva said that in the Talmud. Right. He said like the price to pay for a watch, never pay more than you would pay for, for a set. Of good snow tires. I like that. There's, so there's a for watch nerds like there's a lot of blasphemous statements which have happened in this conversation already. Like there's there's the hard cap on how much you should spend on a watch. There's yes. you selling an original Omega Speedmaster Moon watch. The one thing that I like is like you sort of hit that goal that a lot of watch nerds have, which is somebody noticed your watch, right? It's that. You're sort of the dream of like, I'm walking down the street and some random person's going to be like, hey, yeah. so cool watch. <laughs> when I when I wore the original Moonwatch, that was, yeah, that was the one that, that the most people recognized. Although interestingly, it's it's the people who recognized it were often people who themselves had the same watch. Right. It's like these studies that show that people linger the longest on car ads, advertising cars that they own. Right. So... It's interesting. Yeah, I did sell it. But what's interesting is I didn't get a good price for it because well, it was broken. Technically original. <laughs> so it didn't have the guy said it didn't have the original hands. Because uh -huh. Every time it got repaired, every time mm. it got sent to Switzerland or wherever, you know, they probably sent it to Etobicoke. But every time they sent it to Switzerland, to my knowledge, they would, you know, maybe the crown would be slightly different or the hands would be different or like and you could tell like an expert can tell. And so the people who are true collectors who, you know, an original mint condition Speedmaster is probably, probably about 10,000 now. Um, that's, I oh, remember at least. it was 5,000. Yeah, yeah. But this, but what happens is if, if even one component is an original, like the hands, because if you get water in it, I think one of the first things that degrades is, is mm -hmm. the hand. That's, I think, you know, you could knock 50% off that. Right, for sure. Or so the guy told me. I mean, like, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm certainly no sucker, but 
they do take advantage of me. <laughs> That's fair. Now, so it's interesting. I, like I kind of find watches interesting from an aesthetic perspective. Like one of yeah. the things that I find fascinating about the hobby is the skill is really in the way that somebody's able to take a very compact space and a very finite set of elements and arrange them in a way that can produce something which sometimes is, is quite beautiful. I suspect that your background as an engineer actually has something to do with why you like watches. Yeah, I think that's part of it. Like I remember my dad, one of the reasons he liked, he had a Rolex that he liked a lot and it wasn't one of the really expensive Rolexes, but one of the things that fascinated me about it was the self-winding technology. Mm -hmm. so you know inside there's there's an asymmetric mechanism that that winds itself <laughs> the thing is it was always like wildly inaccurate um <laughs> rolexes at least at, at the time and i think still they often i remember that watch would, would would gain or lose a minute or two every week and what's what's so interesting these watches are such a ripoff if you go to the rolex dealer or had this happened at omega He'll say, so like, does it keep good time now? Because I mean, I, my Speedmaster at one point was losing like 90 seconds a day. It was crazy. And he said, oh, it absolutely it keeps perfect time within the designated parameters. Right. And I was like, sorry, um, what? Like, <laughs> what? Like, what are the designated parameters? And some of these high-end luxury brands, the designated parameters are <laughs> like 30 seconds a day or something. So they have these code phrases that they say is like, yes, it, it meets spec according to our official tolerances. And the official tolerances are ludicrously loose in the case of some brands. I mean, I remember 20 years ago, I was on Canal Street and my, my wife, my Jennifer, who you know, in fact, I think I know you through her. Yeah. She bought a $7 knockoff. It was like Rolex, but like R-O-L-L-E-K-S-Z <laughs> or something. And it kept perfect time. Until the battery died after 10 years and it kept absolutely perfect time. Uh, and replacing the battery would have cost like twice as much as the watch. So she threw it out and she hasn't worn a watch since. So if, if you want, it's, it's one of the, I think it's the only product in the world I can think of where the quality of the product as measured by its nominally stated function is directly inversely proportional to the price you pay for it. Because if you buy a high-end self-winding Rolex, it's probably going to like be wildly inaccurate. Have you ever seen these machines people get to keep their Rolexes wound? Oh, yeah. It's like you stick Dude, it I have on one behind me. It's not, I don't have a Rolex, but I have a machine. Right. This is, this is a winding machine right here. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. And by winding machine, it's like, <laughs> it just kind of goes around. It's like jerking your watch off like 24-7. It's a really weird thing. Because the idea is, well, if your wrist isn't moving, you need a way to put kinetic energy into the mechanism. Don't you feel ridiculous putting your watch into that thing? Completely crazy. Like the, like the, as you've observed, I mean, the fact that we pay like inordinate sums for watches that are then like, they're the most delicate things I own. No, 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 no. Right. I mean, like it doesn't make any sense. Paying money is something you do once. <laughs> And if you pay money for a watch. Yeah, well, you feel if you're like, lucky. <laughs> you feel like an idiot. No, if you're not me and you take care of it. You pay for it once, but, but that machine, you put your watch in that machine all the time. And don't you feel like an idiot every time you do it? Absolutely. I like, feel like I an idiot buy, every time I, I wind my watches. I could, uh, winding a watch is a strange, it's like, is a strangely therapeutic activity. A hundred percent. feels like you're transported into a sort of like hipster steampunk world of gears and springs. I kind of yeah. like it, but 
that winding mechanism doesn't have that quality. It's it 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 feels lazy and artificial. Right. And um, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you have any self-respect. I, I frankly, I don't. Um, yeah. That's why I'm a podcaster. Um, the <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's crazy though because you know up and so look up until like three years ago. I paid zero attention to watches like the, like the most I would have, I would have looked at somebody who told me they spent more than $60 on a watch as if they were a crazy person. Right. And uh, what was your first good watch? And by good, a, I mean bad. Yeah. It was a, a Victorinox, like a, an automatic mechanical. There's the Swiss army brand. Swiss army brand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's great. And I love it. I'm actually, I have it on. It's uh, I love this watch, but I, I was always curious as to sort of what flipped in me. Right. I mean, so for me, what happened was when I got my doctorate, literally just before I got my degree, like the degree granting ceremony, the watch that I had been wearing for 10 years, which was like a $60 guest watch, had literally broken. Like the, the markers had fallen off of it. it. Like it was just a disaster. And so my wife at the, you know, she said to me, she's like, I think it's time for you to get a big boy watch. Like you're an adult, get a nice watch for once. Right. In so I sort of asked a friend at work who I knew was into watches and he was like, Oh yeah. Like, look, here's a website to go to. Here are some brands you should check out. And so I went to that website, Joma shop. And like, that was it. Like I just fell completely down the rabbit hole. And here I am three years later, you know, talking to you about which watches I'm interested in. So I was like that with cars. So I don't know. So you you can see my video. Can you see the back? Do you see a Lego Porsche that's behind me? No, I see a, Go, an R2-D2. <laughs> I like it. You got your shorts uh, on. Like you're taking advantage of the warm weather, right? Eh? You're like you're jumping right in. Look at that. So see this uh, See this Lego Porsche? Yeah. I can't, so, I can't even believe that that's Lego. Yeah. Well, it's the Technique sub-brand. And then in the back, you can see it has this this real Lego engine. Yeah. And you can actually see this is a flat six engine, which I built. And if when I rotate the tires, can you see the, the pistons move? Yeah. And it's got a real limited slip diff. Like that's no, so actually, funny. It's, it's a regular slip differential. But when I was building this, like I've never been a car person. Right. And I was building it and I was like, oh my God, this flat six boxer engine <laughs> is absolutely cool. And I'd never been a car person. Like in 50, my 53 years, I've never been a car person. And building this Lego model with my kid, I was like, I need the real version of this car. It's so right. nice. <laughs> That's a dangerous and, game you're playing, John. Well, but so so I went out and got it. Like good for I, you. Yeah. Now I got a 15 year old used version of it, but it, it it was building this Lego that made me do it. Like it and and it was weird. It was just totally random. And then as soon as I did it, it was the only thing I could think of. Right. Like I just started noticing other cars, and now I subscribe to like three different car magazines. And and all this happened during COVID. I think COVID had some weird effect. Like your watch thing, it sounds like it was pre-COVID. Pre, just pre-COVID, yeah, in, in uh, twenty. But you anticipate it's like something in you knew right. COVID was coming, <laughs> and you needed like to become weird. Absolutely. This car thing was like I hadn't seen anybody except my family in like a month. Right. We were doing these crazy Lego things, and I did it, and it was just like car, 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 car. And the dealership wouldn't even let me test drive it because it was COVID, and it's like you know you'd go in and. You remember those early days when we were treating each other like like lepers? Like yeah, everybody we were, was a was, disease vector. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, the, the test drive, the guy left the keys like on the counter and then he probably <laughs> boiled boiled them after. Anyway, so yeah, I I and I just got in and getting into the car that I just bought was my first experience with a Porsche that was not Lego. And I just I'd say I like I hope this experience lives up to the, the plastic prelude and it did. It did. Nice. Uh, you fall oh, hard, I, eh? 
Sorry, what? You fall hard. Like when somebody presents I totally, something to you. I like totally, yeah, I don't, nice. I don't do like halfway stuff. No. Which I can tell by the, like all the Frisbee discs behind you. And yeah, we don't games. call them Frisbees in oh, disco. What do you call them? Uh, no, what do you call Frisbee's them? a child's toy. Sure. Uh, they're, they're discs, which is. Just discs. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, discs is, you know, it's something you use for an athletic endeavor, mm. which disc golf is. It and is. Uh, yeah, Frisbee is a, a child's toy produced by the Whammo Corporation. <laughs> with a little r in a circle I it has it. nothing to do with this golf yeah nothing that's fair yeah. so i was reading your book not too long ago i don't know if it was your most recent book your your book with joan moriarty your movie oh the, the board games one it's which is a, it's a great book and i i one of the things i found interesting about it is the i don't know if it's an admission like the statement that you say in the book where you describe board games as like one of the top three kind of commitments in your life, like next to like family and work. So is that, is that, has that held steady? Are you still, well, just, like, I mean, or, or for have the those record, been displaced by Porsches and, and for the golf? record, like family and work. I mean, obviously one of those two things I had to put in for form's sake, right? I get it. hundred um, percent. Yeah. I mean, board games, I would say it's competing with disc golf. Now mm. the disc golf thing is weird. So disc golf, so I just did an interview with somebody else interviewed me earlier in the day and he was interviewing me from Florida and he he asked, so what are those colorful things be, behind me? And I said, oh, well, you're, you know, you're in Florida. You should recognize those are discs or discs. He'd never heard of it. Mm -hmm. And even I, like, so did, you, ago, did you subject him to the whole Frisbee rant or no? Oh, I was, I was going to just hang up. I was like, this conversation's over. Like, <laughs> this has been a terrible mistake. No, I, I, two years ago, I had barely heard of disc golf. And right. to the extent I had heard of it, I had like complete contempt for anybody who played it. It seemed like like golf is already, I mean, this opinion of mine hasn't changed. Golf is a terrible sport. And then disc golf is like, let's take everything that's bad about golf and now we'll make it for nerds. And so I thought it was stupid. I thought it was like kind of croquet for, for virgins. And I, but then COVID oh. hit and I couldn't play tennis and I couldn't play squash and I couldn't work out. My daughter wasn't playing hockey. The only sports that were available were loser sports, right? <laughs> like, you know, lawn bowling, tetherball. Uh, Dude, tetherball is a good sport. And it's good for COVID because mm. you're just, you're, anyway. So my friend of mine said, hey, let's try this disc golf thing. I said, oh, are we that desperate? And he said, yes, we are. <laughs> and so I went to play disc golf and I was like hooked immediately. Right. It was like building the Lego Porsche. And I'd say I've played like in the last year and a half, I've probably played disc golf maybe 300 times. I've just become totally obsessed with it. That's impressive. So is and when disc I go golf... to the gym now, I showed my trainer disc golf videos and I was like, I want my, my training to be oriented around disc golf proficiency. Right. Replicate this experience here. Yes. So I'm, is disc golf an athletic endeavor in the same way that like darts is an athletic endeavor? Like, I mean, it, it just seems to me that like you're not I mean, so the only disc golf course I'm familiar with is the one that is, or at least used to be at Centennial Park. At, yeah, I, that's a golf. great course. I go there all the time. Yeah. So, I mean, you're not, like, you're just walking and then throwing the, the disc. I was going to say Frisbee, yeah, but I know not to do that. <laughs> there's, there's, there's no uh, ability test or velvet rope. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not like getting into a fancy country club or anything. Right. You don't need references. Uh, they live in Jews. It's... Um, <laughs> So that's actually one of the best disc golf courses in Toronto. The only problem, hole one, you're throwing over water. It discourages a lot of people because the first hole you throw over a lake, 
So often people will come, their first disc goes into the lake, they spend 20 minutes trying to fish it out and they just get pissed off and they leave. I don't know why they decided to make the first hole the lake hole, but they did. To weed out the people who aren't, you know, committed yes. to it. Yeah, like, yeah, maybe. So, um, yeah, so that, that's a good course. And um, it's not exactly like darts. I mean, because you do get exercise because by the time <laughs> you're done playing a round of disc golf, you probably walked a couple miles. Right? Okay, that's fair. Um, and the motion of disc golf is it's like regular golf it is an athletic motion and if you're athletic you'll be good at it and if you're not athletic you'll be bad at it but so it is kind of exclusionary like you have to have some athletic ability it sounds like to actually participate what happens it's not like croquet in other words i think isn't croquet hard like if isn't real croquet difficult i don't know is there is there a real version of it like i feel well so i think the version of croquet we played when we were seven Hmm. was like you're just trying to get the ball through those hoops yeah then i think the real version is it's actually the super competitive thing where you put your ball right in contact with the other guy's ball and then you like whack one of the balls and his ball goes like a hundred yards have you <laughs> have you seen croquet on like espn 17 no i'm gonna have to look this up <laughs> i actually don't this might don't be a missed that, opportunity i don't know that it's on tv but i right. something i'm sure it's on youtube that the, the croquet we played when we were kids right let asthma camp was not real croquet i I think there's like a real hardcore croquet scene that you and i don't even know about right we don't have access to that is there is there a seasonality to uh to disc golf like can you play in the winter so i play today and you know it's December. that's why you have the shorts on uh you don't have to tell people that i'm wearing shorts (laughs) right uh i mean you look good like it's not it's not a criticism it's also 13 degrees in toronto like if you should be wearing uh, shorts seize um, the day uh you can play 12 months and I do play 12 months a year. The, the snow is primarily an issue because it's really easy to lose your disc in the snow. And mm. so what some Canadian players do is they tape a very thin ribbon to the underside, the center of the underside of the disc. And so mm. the ribbon peeks out. And then the other trick is you chalk your disc so that when you're looking through it, you'll see like a trail of colored chalk in the snow. But the, the biggest problem is like some of these discs cost 20 bucks. They're expensive. And so if, you know, if you're playing every day and you're losing discs, it can get pricey. In fact, the first, if anyone's listening to this, the very first thing you do. (laughs) Thank you, John. If anyone's listening, there's going to be listeners. Sorry. (laughs) What I meant is to to complete the thought, if anyone aside from your, your relatives are listening, if anyone who is interested in taking up disc golf is listening to this, is, is that's what I meant to say. The very first thing you should do is put your phone number on the underside of your disc. Because it's a very friendly sport. So when you lose a disc, chances are in a few days, you'll get a text message that says, oh, I'm, I'm at hole seven at Centennial. And I, right. I just fished your disc out of the water or something like that. that sounds so like a nice community to be a part of. It is. Yeah. In fact, it's the opposite of regular golf in that there's no attitude. Uh, everyone's nice. It's the only sport where you can just randomly go up to people and say, hey, you're really good. Can you show me how you did that stroke? And they'll, they'll say yes. Like you wouldn't do that on a regular golf course. Right. That'd be a little You weird. wouldn't, you know, do that in, in most sports. But I it's one of the things I really like about this sport. It's just it's it's got a good vibe to it. Nice. All right. So to loop back to our earlier conversation about the citizen and just to wrap this up, because I know you have to go. Here's my suggestion for okay. for a device to avoid losing those discs. Yeah. Put an RFID chip on the disc and then rig up some kind of system where like your phone can detect where the, the little RFID chip is within like a couple hundred meters of you boom that's exactly what george soros wants us to do you know you're just this is i don't watch him for that 
RFID in everything. So sure. I'm going to tell you. The I might be chipped. I think I, I've gotten two two vaccine shots. I think I'm chipped. I'm three. So I got boosted this week. Nice. And I got my first was AZ, AstraZeneca. My second was Moderna. And my third this week, because I have a doctor friend, is uh, is Pfizer. So I'm hitting for the cycle. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's the trifecta. Good for yeah. you. And if I go, we don't have Johnson & Johnson here, but... Right. I want to be the guy who gets like, like even the weird ones they make in like, you know, <laughs> even the, the dangerous and ineffective ones <laughs> that they make in a barrel. I, I just, I feel like that can be my, my new, cause I go in hard. So my new thing is getting vaccinated. I love um, it. So the craziest, so, you know, I wrote, maybe you don't, I wrote a book about conspiracy theories. I do know that. Uh, I've read the book. And, and so I kind of, I thought I'd heard everything. But I was at a board game tournament in Albany a couple weeks ago, and I heard a new one. This guy told me that he's not getting vaccinated because the vaccines contain this, this kind of electronic thing that gets activated by the Chinese through the 5G network. Yeah. So the vaccine itself may not hurt you, but then you expose yourself to 5G, and it's kind of like you're activated. Like right. it's, um, Well, you're triple activated. Well, I think I feel like if the different vaccine makers have different agendas, yeah, and maybe like all the sort of little mini robots in my bloodstream, they may go to war against each other. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe I was going like to say, like, you're on of... all three networks. Like, so all, yeah. all, any one of the three networks, as soon as it gets activated, like, you're going to be activated. But maybe you're right. Like, maybe getting the three different vaccines is actually sort of the solution because. Maybe the networks fight each other, like the network, the nanobots. Yeah, yeah. It's called checks and balances. All the all the best constitutions are set up that way, including <laughs> yours now. Uh, yeah. Like so it. anyway, so yeah, that was the weirdest one that I heard. But I I really would, if anybody's listening to this, very serious thing, you should get vaccinated. I've suffered no mind control episodes at all. Um, that you know of. That I know of. I guess I, that's well. So that's the thing. I guess I wouldn't know, right? Right. We should check just, that with Jen. It would feel like my own volition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Now I'm freaked out. Was and the I whole no was the whole Porsche it. thing that must have been before the vaccine? No, that was a COVID thing. But it was, it was a COVID thing, no, but before it was, vaccine, pre-vaccine. Yeah. yeah right. So I'm safe okay. on that. Right. I'm so the like Porsche, you know, Porsche AG or whatever the company is, like they're not sort of invested in the vaccine and they're no. Well, they're owned by Volkswagen. And mm -hmm. Porsche is going all electric, by the way. Well, not all electric. Mm -hmm. 911 is going to stay gas. But my car, I have a Cayman. Uh, I think my understanding is the Cayman is going to go all electric. So, I mean, this is another, this is why we're going to go full circle because we're ending. But I feel the reason we're into these watches and the reason I'm into this, you know, I have a, I have a, a Cayman S, which has this beautiful, like, six-cylinder, flat-six engine, which makes this beautiful rumbling sound, is we know these are these are dead technologies mm -hmm. we know like analog watch technology was superseded as soon as like we were in, you know when we were in grade five and the first guy showed up with like the first led star wars watch like right. that was it that and and the same electric cars are killing it i mean the the taycan the porsche taycan and and the hundred other models that are cheaper than the taycan are just much better they're right. faster too my wife's electric volkswagen is faster than my my porsche Hmm. Um, and so I think it's the fact that we know that these are dead technologies that give them the air of kind of romance, sort of like fixed gear bicycles and, and stuff like that, right. that we just, 
So here's my hypothesis, just to complete the circle here. Yeah. Once we get into our 40s, we realize we are the soon-to-be-dead technology, and we start embracing other dead technologies. Whoa, dude. Thank you. Yeah. Boom. Just, yeah. All right. Yeah. On that Man. note, John, thank you. Good seeing you. Uh, Say hi to thank Jen you. for that me. That was great. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in the flesh. Uh, likewise, I look forward to getting an update on how many vaccines you've you've managed to secure. I hope you're keeping like a little log. Uh, maybe you want to tattoo it on yourself, like like the date and the vaccine, like the brand and you know, uh, like a check that's mark. A good idea, right? But the Ontario government already does. I mean, so you're <laughs> describing my Ontario vaccine passport. That's fair. So what you're saying is I should get my Ontario vaccine passport tattooed on my ass. I mean, whichever part of your body works for you, but that's not a bad idea. I think uh, I just assumed it'd be my ass. You didn't say ass. I think I just... <laughs> you just went there. I it's like it. when you it's read fine. stuff into the Constitution. I think I just read that in. <laughs> All right. I'll see you later. Nice. All right. Take it easy. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you like this podcast, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, liking it, sharing it with your friends, or inflicting it on your enemies. If you're still listening, you're probably the only one who's doing so. The secret number is 42. To claim your no prize, send an email with the secret number in the subject line to bob at bobgotamicrophone.com.